0: You're listening to Just One of the Guys, where we're celebrating The Flash's Easter Egg reveal of Gorilla Grod with a tune from The Monkey's. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 136 of Just From the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks internet radio show. My name is Sean Ningle, and I love covering Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones that started with the cover date June 1990, and the ones that will be ending with the cover date November 2004. And this time out on the show, we're continuing our look at the Green Lantern comic book series, covering Green Lantern 136, which is the final story in the story arc, When Raw or While Rome Ra- Burn, which deals with Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern, and the rest of the Justice League, taking down Alex Nero, who's been terrorizing New York, and blowing up the World Trade Center. It's awkward. Plus, we're also continuing our look at the Circle of Fire storyline, where this time we're going to be taking a look at the Emerald Knight, Green Lantern, who's teaming up with Power Girl in a very unpowered girl type uniform. I'm certain we'll have things to talk about that as well. And when I say we, I of course mean two of my best friends in the podcasting world. You may know the first person from shows like Views from the Long Box and From Crisis to Crisis. I am proud to welcome back on the show Mr. Michael Bailey. Hey Mike. Thanks for having me. This is always fun. And I also had to bring along one of my Uh, I guess one of my semi-regular co-hosts now, sorry Michael, I'm taking him away, my good friend from Veteran in the Dark, Mr. Thomas DJ. Hey Thomas, welcome to the show. So a
1: Daxamite and an Atlantean and some guy who's dressed like Sonar but really isn't walk into a bar.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd like to smack some of these people in the (laughs) bar. Yeah, I'm certain we'll have things to say and I'll have uh, questions to ask about the... uh, the whole thing going on with Power Gruel. But we'll be getting to that as well as uh, some other things after we uh, take this little uh, podcast promo break. But after that, we'll be ready to start coverage of Green Lantern number 136. Hey, Paul, what's up? Oh, not much. What's going on? I'm, I'm just a little confused lately. I can't yeah, what else is the Well, you know, more than usual. I tried to go to get the shows that we just put up, and I was having problems finding them. What were you having trouble finding? Well, I couldn't find Back to the Bins. I couldn't find Avengers Spotlight. Of course, you can only find those when I actually edit them. um, (laughs) Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. They're on the feed, Bill. Yeah, I know. That's where I went. I went to the feed, but they weren't there. No, you got to go to the feed. you got to go to the Back to the Bins feed. The Back to the Bins feed? What's yeah, that? The Back to the Bins feed. You got to go to iTunes, you look, for, look up Back to the Bins, and you subscribe to the Back to the Bins feed. But I went to Two True Freaks. Yeah, we're on that feed, too. What? Where? On the feed. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, you're saying that we're on... Alright, so if I wanted to go find the shows that we've done, I'm going to go on to iTunes, and I'm going to click on Back to the Bins... And I'll find Back to the Bins and Avengers Spotlight in the feed. Exactly. I don't even know what I'm talking about! Phil, you go to the feed. You subscribe to the show. You subscribe to whichever show you want. And then you get it. It's that what simple. Sh- you just gotta go to the feed. What show do I want? Back to the Bins. Where? An Avengers Spotlight. Oh, I'm so confused. They're on iTunes. They're on what? 2TrueFreaks.com. You want them? Ugh. You get them. They're you all got them? All oh. the shows are there. They're still all available, Bill. All right. On the so feed. the feed. If you, you say feed one more time, I'm going to break your arm. Oh. Scott, could you tell him Hey man, don't don't drag me into this
2: cuz <laughs> it's no skin off my ass. I'm on all the feeds. My name is Michael Bailey, and I am a terrible geek. I don't watch Doctor Who. I don't care for anime. I've never seen any of the Harry Potter films, much less read the books. I like Star Wars and Star Trek okay, but I've never really ventured far into the extended universes of either property. Hell, I have never even watched a single episode of The Walking Dead. So what do I like?
1: Comic Comic books. books.
2: I have been reading and collecting comic books since 1987, and I have been a fan of superheroes for as long as I can remember. Some would consider this a hobby, but I prefer to look at it as what it truly is, a crippling addiction that I may never recover from. To deal with this borderline personality disorder, I started a podcast in 2007 called News from Long Lost. Every two weeks, or so, depending on real life... I pick a particular series or issue or character or whatever to talk about, and then I, well, well I talk about them, because that's kind of the point of a podcast. Sometimes I'm alone. Sometimes I have a guest, like my semi-regular co-host, The Irredeemable Shag, or my other semi-regular co-host, Thomas DJ, or with another friend from the podcasting world. The show is located at www.fusefromalongbox.com. From there, you can find the iTunes link, the email address, as well as the backlog of episodes. Views from the Long Box. A podcast about comics, or a desperate cry for help. You decide. Every other Tuesday, or so, depending on real life, at
0: www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. All right, we are back. So let's go ahead and move right in to Green Lantern coverage with Green Lantern number 136. This one was cover dated May 2001, released March 7th, 2001, had a cover price of 225 US and 375 Canada, and a title of Wild World Burned Part 5. No subtitle on this one. The writer again was Judd Wittick, the penciler was Dale Eaglesham, inkers were Jordy Ensign and John Lowe, colors and separations were by Moose Bowman. The letter was Chrissy Leopoulos, the associate editor was Michael Wright, and the editor was Bob Schreck. Alex Nero was a normal child, by all accounts. However, one day, he had a bit of an outburst, and things just went downhill from there. Medication and therapy were tried on him, but nothing seemed to help. And now, after the death of his parents and years of institutionalization, Alex is free to be who he is truly meant to be. A destroyer of worlds. But not if Green Lantern Kyle Rayner and the Justice League have anything to say about it, as Kyle calls in all the available League members to rendezvous in Times Square to evacuate the area. Superman and Guy Gardner are still mopping up some of the construct horrors when one escapes, runs straight towards the World Trade Center, and explodes between the Twin Towers. Wasting no time, Superman streaks towards the buildings with Guy rocketing behind him. Guy arrives to find the Man of Steel in the substructure of the building, holding a lock with his mighty strength, and freezing the broken supports with his freeze breath. Telepathically, the Martian Manhunter tells the Flash to head to the site, dazed with getting people out, while he, Plastic Man, and Wonder Woman clear civilians from the downtown area. Using dozens of constructs to counter Nero, Kyle slowly makes his way towards the draped despot, all the while checking to make sure the area is free of any innocents. Finally, John Jones tell, relays that the area is clear, and Kyle bashes the f*** out of Nero with a Ring Construct Infinity Gauntlet Punch. Knocking him back, Kyle continues pummeling Nero, but to no avail. Realizing they has to change tactics, Kyle signals for Wally to speed over to Bellevue Hospital and get a videotape of Alex's family's last outing. Speeding it back to Kyle, Green Lantern then rings up a VCR to play the tape and create constructs of Nero's parents who beg him to stop this violence. Wondering what's going on, Alex tells his parents that he has so much left to do, but the parents are having nothing of it, as their pleas turn to derision, and their constructs turn into demonic forms. Wally tells Kyle to stop torturing Nero, but Kyle says that he's no longer controlling the constructs, Nero is. And as the constructs become more and more vicious, Nero begs for them to stop, until they explodes in a flash of yellow energy, knocking our heroes back, and taking his life as well. A legend. Some time has passed. And Kyle Engineer relaxing in his apartment, reading what the Times had to say about Green Lantern as a hero. Even Mayor Giuliani is wanting to give him the key to the city, which Kyle was thinking of turning down until Superman said it's the right thing to do to accept it. Kyle also mentions that Batman thought that in the wake of the Nero attack, the planet could use a few more ring bearers. And with that, Kyle offers Jenny a Green Lantern ring, not only so Jenny can be a Green Lantern, but also so she can be his wife. And, gentlemen, which one of you wants to go first on uh, talking about this issue?
1: This seems to be... As you're getting deeper, I think as you get deeper into Wittig's uh, run, you see that he seems to have a fascination with outsider characters. Not literally characters from the comic, the outsiders, but people who <laughs> are not part of normal society. And I think that this whole storyline about Nero being mentally ill, and obviously that kind of hits me a little close to home, um, is a continuation of that theme. Um But let's be honest, this is just punchy, punchy, run, run. Mm -hmm. And I find it hilarious that when all is said and done, Kyle's plan is let's hit him. The equivalent of Leela's let's blow it up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the resolution of I, I thought the resolution of him having to face his parents and thinking that might be some solution to to finish the job was interesting but the fact that it turned into oh it's just going to be a big explodey thing at the end was kind of yeah kind of minimized the story my statement about this was it still feels like this is the beginning of the writing for the trade type story Mm -hmm. prior to this some of these issues felt a little slight there wasn't really much progression in what's going on and it was all just a bunch of nice pictures and fighting it's it's a decent story and i agree you know having a character that kyle can go up against who's a ring wielder is nice to see and i'm i'm certain nero will probably come back like i said i have not read the winnick run so i'm discovering this as i go through it but i've been enjoying it i don't have any problems with it Uh mike what do you think winnick um,
2: does so much better with single character books than team books because I really liked his run on this title. I thought he went in a different direction than what Ron Mars was doing, but not for the worse, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, this is my take on the character while still keeping him as that for lack of a better term, Peter Parker ish, uh, type of, uh, here. I mean, at the very end of this issue, It's like everybody likes me and and you know, I almost just like even J. Jonah Jameson wrote a editorial where he was saying what a great guy I was. (laughs) So it's time
0: to marry Mary Jane. Exactly. (laughs) But uh And then have it retconned away, you know, a couple of years later with a deal with uh I don't know,
2: Neron, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Yes. This is in that kind of interstitial period between where I think DC was like running on all you know, like you know, running on all six cylinders at the and the coming of and, and I'm not saying this as a, a derogatory because I really don't want to go down that road, but like beginning of the
1: Didio era. Mm-hmm. Uh the well, the of weird not at the beginning of the DiDio era the twin towers are still standing. Oh <laughs> ouch um it's true it it is true
2: and and this is like one of the last stories you're going to see in comics that deal with like you know because before there are a bunch of stories where it's like we're going to go attack the world trade center and Mm -hmm. for reasons both of sensitivity and logistics you can't do that anymore
1: Mm -hmm. uh well i wonder if this is because i don't know if this ever this reached um national publication or not there had been another a previous attack on the World Trade Center that had kind of failed. In 93, yeah. yeah in in 93. Yeah. So yeah,
2: they, uh, they they were in the parking garage, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. That yes. was right around the time of my birthday, too. That's why I really remember it, I remember watching the news about it. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I mean, it, 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 this isn't me being insensitive to people who lost anybody or were affected by nine eleven in any kind of like significant way. But you know what? They,
1: they were kind of a target for comic book writers because you could do things with. Well, and, let's not forget. Uh, ju- just before the attacks, we had the Spider Man pro- the, the Spider Man promo. Mm hmm. Uh uh-huh. Webbing up the, the 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 putting the webbing up between the twin towers to catch the bad guys. I mean, hell, the first like storyline from X Force took mm-hmm. place
2: uh, at the twin towers. Uh, where there was a lot of destruction going on, so you know I, I, I'm no longer at that point where I see like the twin towers in a, in, a, in a comic or TV show and think, ooh, maybe they shouldn't do that, or ooh, that reminds me, because it, it, it's not like a, it's not like I'm like, well, we should be over it because obviously it's it's a national tragedy, but at the same time, I think enough time has passed where we don't have to be as sensitive about it anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I was reading this issue, because because uh, to be fair. I read the Winnick run as it happened and never went back to it. Mm. So I remember liking it, but there are large chunks of that where I just, I couldn't tell you what happened mainly because I was reading like seven, eight other titles at the time. And there's, and my hard drive is in my head is, is there's like a dedicated portion for Superman and that tends to eat up other resources at times. So I tend to forget things, but reading this I forgot how good Winnick was at getting into the heads of his characters. Uh, you know, Nero was... I mean, it's like the perfect Sinestro for Kyle, you know? Like, you couldn't... You could have Sinestro. Though, given how hes he was treated for some of his existence, maybe it's better that they kept him in the box. Uh, but... You're gonna have somebody who's young and who has issues and wears combat boots, mm-hmm. and this is this is a villain for this Green Lantern, and that's and why. And more
1: importantly, it, it's kind of like he's the flip side of Kyle. Kyle I, came from a broken home. Uh, you know, Alexander came from a, a whole you know a, a whole parental unit. Kyle was still even was raised by his mom, but raised in a loving environment. The implication is that Alexander was not. It's interesting how he kind of flips Kyle's story to get Nero. And I really liked seeing the Justice League, or the
2: JLA, I guess would be the better way to refer Mm -hmm. to them, in this story being Kyle's backup. You know, it's like, okay, he's part of our team, this is his town, this is his villain... We're here to keep the dust off of him and help the civilians, uh, while he deals with the larger threat. I really like that. Though, I do love the idea that Batman is going to take on a construct with, uh,
0: with a couple little bat axes. Um, okay. Well, well whatever. That's okay because I, last, last time out, he was able to blow up a couple of constructs with some bat grenades. i mm-hmm. um, literally grenades with little bat symbols on them that he tossed down the throats of these construct demons and blew them up Battenham I was also very oh. go
1: ahead <laughs> i was also very encouraged because later on i we you and i have talked about this sean later on um winnick degenerates guy back into his lunkhead phase mm-hmm. and i was very encouraged by how guy comes off in this issue
0: Yeah, so i got As, to the point uh where guy was sitting around john's uh john's bed when he was injured in the fatality fight and he was just thinking when can i leave to go get to the uh, knicks game and i was like uh, no so
2: I, i i do have a question about well not a question but an observation about this is one of those issues where you could really dig into the debate of how the construct actually work because you know some people are like Well, are they just kind of like magic where you think of a jet fighter and it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter how the engine works or anything like that because the person controlling it is showing it. Here we have Kyle constructing a VCR to play the tape. Mm -hmm. Does he know how a VCR works? Did did that have to go into his construct to to be able to, you know,
1: you put the tape in and
2: (laughs) you play it? but you know cuz later on they would say like you know john stewart constructs his you know makes his constructs from the inside out mm-hmm. like they're like his his mind works on such a level that he can visualize because of his engineering training like how something is put together i mean i, I it didn't ruin the story i'm not going to sit here and go well how does that work like like you know you better explain it mr jud winnick mr mm-hmm. i was on the real world and
0: blah blah blah. <laughs> Was blah, friends but... with a gay guy who had AIDS and <laughs> see see I always I always fall into the camp that the imagination of the Green Lantern allows them to think of whatever they are and since the ring is connected to the central battery which is essentially a giant energy computer type thing that it just pulls whatever that person is imagining. From that file and creates it whole cloth. That the that the person who's making the construct specifically doesn't have to have intimate knowledge of how uh, you know a reel to reel would work and or you know where the gears have to be in the our or you know how it works you know how it reads the tape and how it projects the image and whether it uses HDMI or coaxial cable or anything like that. It's just. It's one of those things that it's it's interesting to think about. But, you know, if you if you think about it too much, it just causes your brain to hurt. And I right. try to avoid that as often as possible.
1: I just assume that the ring, especially if you look, go back to the earliest Hal Jordan stories where he puts together some elaborate stuff that just happens to work, Um, that the ring it's whatever the understanding of the person is. So Kyle knows you put a, VC, a VHS into the the machine, the machine works. You know he knows how to operate it, and that's that's sufficient onto the day. I he doesn't have to that. know how to build it from the ground up. Whereas John, because John isn't has he's is an engineer, he builds it from the ground up because that's how his mind works. That's how um he that's how his thought processes goes normally. Whereas God, Kyle is just, hey, VCR.
0: Um, throughout the book, the art, it ebbs and flows. There are there are parts of it. I'm looking here on page two, the uh, image of the kids. Mm-hmm. There is some wonkiness in the head sizes of those
1: kids. Yeah. You know what? And, that one kid in the back picking his nose is a ginormous head.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's like Sputnik. It's, <laughs> you know, he cries himself to bed on his on his giant pillow every and night.
1: Huge <laughs> pillow.
0: <laughs> yes, if we can make a soy miracle. So I what's, up with, what's up with the ventriloquist dummy
1: to the left of the of the shot of to the right of uh, the shot of uh, Nero's eyes?
0: I don't know. Oh Just my god, scary. that's yeah, nightmare and, fuel, dude. Yeah, you know, and why does he head? Did he get punched in the head? He's got a little bandage on his head.
1: in <laughs> the head. Uh, <laughs> the really growly middle-aged man at the left side of that panel probably hit him.
0: Uh, I could buy that, yeah. Um, moving into the book, uh, I, I like it. Like I said, I was glad to see Guy Gardner in effect in an effective role. And again, Guy Gardner is warrior in New York City because oh, the last time there was a big thing in New York City, when was that? Day of Judgment, yeah. Guy Gardner was nowhere to be seen, and you know it was written by someone who says that he really has respect for Guy Gardner. The some guy, oh Jeff Johns wrote that, yeah. but Guy Gardner was nowhere to be seen. In that so I'm glad if we, that we
1: don't see Jeff Johns respect for Guy Gardner until Green Lantern Rebirth.
0: Yeah, well that's kind of sad, but yeah, Guy, you know, my big thing is uh, you know, with Guy and Superman is what is it up here? Page, page seven, I guess, or page six, where uh, after they see the explosion, you know, the little construct demon, and we just see Superman without a thought. There's trouble. I'm there. And I'm glad that Winnick writes Superman in this way. I'm, I'm, Mm -hmm. this is, this is the epitome of how Superman should be. And even though this is a Green Lantern title, I like it when characters like Superman come into it and do their super feats and are how they ex- how I expect them to be. So this mm-hmm. is great to see this. And the next page where we see him just straining to keep up the uh, the building and saying that he's used his uh, freeze breath to try and shore up the beams. It's right. It's great. I love this.
2: No, Superman was very well. Re- I mean, like the entire Justice League uh, for that was very well represented but you know I'm I'm a little more partial to the man of steel so well
0: like, obviously that's was, where my
2: head's going to be yeah
1: was this during the time when they had kind of established in the the superman books cuz there was like this uh guest starring stint with Guy Gardner that they kind of had like a new understanding cuz they were like both the last of their races so they became kind of very
0: tenuous buddies i don't remember that See, I I remember, you know, it was kind of right during the uh, Guy Gardner Warrior storyline with the, mm-hmm. you know, when when they had that little crossover thing where Guy came over into uh, like the Adventures storyline, yeah, and you know, Superman had to calm him down because Guy was freaking out with his new Valdarian powers, and they kind of had the the conversation that yeah, we're both the last of our kind. So we have a kind of kinship, but I don't.
2: What's that? I don't... It, it, it's kind of funny because Roger Stern, uh, wrote those issues and, uh, well, no, Roger Stern wrote the first issue that had Guy and, and, and the Eradicator kind of coming to a head. And I, I, I always got the sense between that issue of action comics and the novel, The Death and Life of Superman that Roger Stern really didn't like Guy Gardner as a character mm-hmm. because he portrayed him very much as the hothead to be Superman's foil. And to be fair, Dan Juergens did a little bit of that in the Justice League run as well mm-hmm. uh, to kind of change a little bit, because I believe the person who wrote that issue was David Michelinie. We haven't gotten, I haven't read that one in years, and we haven't, We're we're getting there on From Crisis to Crisis. Uh, but we're not quite past zero hour yet, so there is no, you know, morphing Mighty Morphin Guy Ranger, <laughs> um, which is a terrible joke, and I apologize to everyone.
0: No, 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 yeah. I, I, I'm completely content with the Boldarian stage of Guy Gardner. It is, it is, a, it is a portion that I realize is goofy as all get out, but it's one of the portions that I really enjoy because it was written by Bo Smith, and I think he was one of the people who did. The most to bring Guy Gardner out of that sort of one dimensional, you know, frat boy who's an ass hat type character. So I'm an ass hat. Well, I, I can't, I can't, I can't not like that era simply because the stories there were just so good. I can overlook the sort of complete goofiness of a person who can morph his hand into a giant gun and shoot plasma <laughs> out of it. So. Guy
2: Garner during that era ran into the same problem that Superman has run into since I would say the eighties and nineties in his own title. Everything works because the people writing that title have a stake in making the character work and they have their own take of it, take on it. You guest star that character in other books and they're just going to mess it all up. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's where guy really kind of suffered during this time period is because it seemed like whenever he was a guest star in another book, they really didn't know how to handle it. You know, they didn't know. I, I don't know if they didn't understand what Bo Smith was really going for, or they just was like, well, this is
0: how it has to work. So, yeah, well, I think, I think the, the persona that uh, Keith Giffen and J M Demetelius sort of established with him in the, <clears throat> and even going back to um, Steve Englehart, in the in the Green Lantern core stories, you know, kind of established Guy is this, well, this jerk character, that that was kind of the de facto go-to thing whenever Guy Gardner was in a story that wasn't his own. And like I said, Bo Smith took on, took that and built upon that and changed the character enough to make him still an ass, but a likable ass, if that makes any sense. Um, I got a question
1: here. Go ahead. Page 8. Okay? We're seeing, like, some of the evacuation attempts. You know, and there's a panel where you got John and Plastic Man, and they're trying to evacuate some people. There's a character in the lower left-hand corner with a big A on his back.
0: Yeah, um... Who the hell is that? I- I'm thinking that's got to be a construct. I don't know who it would be. Which page was that? Page Page 8. Page 8. You know, right underneath John, he's carrying off like three people and plastic yeah. bands and a the helicopter there, and I, I'm assuming that's a construct, you know, someone taking that. But yeah, it, it's and the thing is, they they color the constructs, they shade the constructs, so they're not specifically all green. They give them different colorations, so they they look more real, but sometimes that can be to a detriment because. The fact that they do look more real, they don't necessarily look like they're a construct, and you're wondering, well, why is this person, you know, in the middle of this fight? So I don't know. But, I mean, I don't this know one is
1: even colored in different shades of green. He's colored blue and white. And yeah, rare. that is really weird. You know, I I've got to say, and this is the Mark. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the Mark Wade Justice League, which is just the Magnificent Seven plus Plastic Man, right? Yeah, yes, that, that is who this is. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I was going to say... The Magnificent I, Seven, plus Plastic Man, <laughs> out of the pages of DC Comics. Um, I was going to say, you know, I currently I'm reading in the New 52, I started picking up Sinestro. And I really enjoy Dale Eaglesham's art in the book, in Sinestro. But here... There are some things that are just kind of wonky. I might as well get to the one that just really bugs me, and it's at the end of the book, mm-hmm. where uh, Kyle and Jenny are sitting around in the bed and talking to each other. We'll go ahead and go to that final panel there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. And who has the most impossibly small waist of any woman.
0: Yes, and and like the again, she's got a head that you know Sputniks were bringing around. <laughs> and, and Kyle looks like. He he looks almost like Fieldian in his. He looks like Franz and Hans and Franz. I mean, he's he he's and throughout the book, Eaglesham did. I mean, there's a lot of detail in here. There, you know, uh, Jenny and some of these, uh, her facial features look really good. But that she has on on that image, she has no waist. She has no internal organs. I she can't. <laughs> I can't fit into an air. I could wrap my hand around her waist. That's disturbing. And Kyle looks like he's been hitting the, uh, you know, the. Uh, hey babe, I
2: just got out of the. <laughs> just got out of hitting the weights, so uh, marry me, okay? <laughs> let me,
0: maybe Point you to the beach.
1: Should yeah. I be ashamed of the fact that I didn't re- realize it was Jen because of the way the shading of the coloring is?
0: Yeah,
2: I was. I was just like, is that? That's gotta be Jade. I mean, it's just gotta right. be her, but wow, the coloring on this just
0: sucks. Yeah, I agree. The The last part of this coloring, I I understand they're trying to go for, like, you know, early morning, you know, getting out of bed, you know, light streaming through the windows, city-type feel, but it's just uncomfortably bad. It just doesn't work.
2: It, it really didn't. And, and again, I'm not trying to insult. I mean, I enjoyed this issue, and I, I remember enjoying this story, but it's just like, I got to this part, and I'm like, I know coloring was wonky at DC in the early... This wonky, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and and the thing is, I've... You know, I've in you know, reading, you know, current books, I've been seeing some amazing coloring. Now, granted, we've got, you know, 10, 15 years worth of time in between this stuff, but, yeah, this is just... This is just bad. The story overall you know do it the story overall i thought was good i still feel that the entirety of the story the entire you know uh while in rome story was trade fodder it did feel like the beginning of the waiting for the trade era but it wasn't necessarily bad the ending was average but it wasn't as disappointing as you know some other things i've read so um, do do you guys have anything else on this? Do you have anything else do you want to hit on this on the story? No, um, I
2: mean I, I enjoyed it. It was uh it was a good wrap up to the whole Nero you know, the you know, this whole thing with Nero. I think they added a lot of character at the beginning, which kind of offset the fact that as as Thomas said, this because it is the the conclusion, there is a lot of punchy punchy run run going on. Mm-hmm. Uh and it ended on a good soap opera-ish cliffhanger. So I, uh, I enjoyed it. I liked
1: it. Even if he is proposing to a marionette of Jen, and not Jen herself. Well, he's
0: practicing. You know, he wants <laughs> to get the. It's like the real girl. See, yeah, that's what I was saying. You know, <laughs> there have been so many times in the Green Lantern book that Jenny Lynn has been drawn. To look like a blow up doll. This is just Kyle practicing on the blow up yeah. doll. So has you know. No ass in
2: this uh, shot. It's and just th- going to be better when he falls in love with the AI in his ring <laughs> and
1: they start doing things together.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> please don't you know, tell Kyle, me
1: I enjoy our trips through space.
0: <laughs> <laughs> please don't uh, tell me Winnick's going to do right. this.
1: I, no, 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 no. I, I uh, was seeing
2: uh, Thomas's. Obscure independent movie reference in raising him a slightly better known independent <laughs> movie.
1: Ah, uh, thank God. I killed the show. <laughs> Yay! Tonight's episode of Just One of the Guys is brought to you by the Independent Film Channel.
0: Uh, <laughs> because Robert Redford needs stuff to do. <laughs> now showing Batman. Because, yes, when I think independent films, I think. Giant big budget order brothers films.
1: It's like when I think of American movie classics, I think of bachelor party (laughs) or predator.
2: Yes. You know, know, it's funny that you say that because I had a friend that worked for AMC Mm -hmm. and he explained what happened is basically at one point they looked at the money that was coming in and realized, you know, we need to be a little more competitive with other cable channels so amc went from standing for american movie classics to being a brand name like kfc hmm. you know they they don't they don't want to call it fried chicken anymore but they'll still call it kfc right right so amc is just we're we're amc so it doesn't matter what it stands for they're just a channel
0: and see, you know, I think the the whole classic movie thing has has been taken over by Turner Classic Movies, right. who show actual classic movies that you probably wouldn't see on you know, your mainstream channel. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna see Predator or Predator Two or Aliens versus Predator on Turner Classic Movies. You'll probably see those all you know back to back on AMC some week. Mm-hmm. So. Boy, well, this is an interesting tangent.
2: Or, or or maybe they're using classic as defined by a frat boy. Well. Or, or
1: a 13-year-old girl.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. But yeah, speaking of girls, we're, we've got a, uh, a certain girl coming up in the next issue of the uh, books we're going to be covering. In fact, we're going to be covering Power Girl after we take this little podcast promo break. Michael's going to be polite enough to grace us with his review. Of Green Lantern and Power Girl. Hey, Jeff. Hey,
3: Mike.
2: Man, it sure is great to be back to from Crisis to Crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us, for very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories.
3: Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's world.
2: The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis.
3: Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey.
2: Worlds Collide.
3: Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again.
2: And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well.
3: Well, most of them anyway.
2: Yeah, yeah, some of those really did suck, don't they?
3: Much from Crisis to Crisis is back new episodes will drop on thursday just like before
2: you can find the show at the superman homepage www.supermanhomepage.com as well as at the superman podcast network which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com
3: and we also have a facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com podcast.com. is it .com on there no No, no, it's not.
2: No, no No.com. Forget that. (laughs) So, From Crisis to Crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better
3: than ever. You need some work.
2: No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From
0: Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-Crisis adventures of Superman one half month at a time, every Thursday, at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com Tangent. An abrupt change of course. Tangent. To go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent, a comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names.
2: I'm waking up to ash and dust, I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust, I'm breathing in
3: the chemicals,
0: lines the dc comics tangent universe podcast find it bi-weekly on itunes and at greatcrypton.com in the tangent universe you only know the names all right we are back everyone and like i said before the break michael bailey is going to take the reins here and bring us green lantern and power girl number one of one go ahead michael well this
2: was written by scott Beatty, penciled by pete woods ...inked by Andrew Papoy and John Staziski. That's how I'm going to say that. Uh, edited by Matt Idelson. And, and I'll get back to how, wow, so many of these people would come back to me later on uh, in my collecting life. So, uh, But the synopsis is... The Green Lantern of the year 1256 searches for and finds Power Girl on the Watchtower. The Daxamite-born Green Lantern is a bit anxious... Power Girl is secure in the knowledge that no matter how dire the situation gets, the Justice League never gives up, never surrender. Elseworld, Oblivion orders his minion, Kertik, to guard his treasure, uh, for the last of, the, of his species, if he must, which is kind of a poor planning system, but whatevs. Back at the Watchtower, the medieval Green Lantern soaks up some Yellow Sun energy before heading off with Power Girl in search of the League. Along the way, they discuss why an alien Green Lantern looks like he stepped out of medieval times and how there is no record of his existence until the story. Power Girl and Green Lantern arrive at their destination only to find a giant black mass where the Justice League used to be. And when I say black mass, I mean kind of like more... I think more big, huge black thing that, that was uh, out in Jupiter and not like something Anton LaVey would do. They are drawn into the mass and find themselves on an ice planet, not hawk, we promise. Green Lantern is concerned because he can feel his strength dwindling, but Power Girl is quick to point out that he has a power ring, and his true strength of will comes from within. This theory is put to the test when the two are attacked by an alien creature. Green Lantern chooses a more direct approach as he hacks away at the creature's tentacles with a broadsword construct. Power Girl also suggests that he use his heat vision because you have heat vision, And soon the two make their way across the planet where they finally find the Justice League encased in a yellow crystal and guarded by Kyrtik and his species. Green Lantern is a tad upset since his
1: power ring is is.
2: useless against yellow. Power Girl goes to smash the crystal, but Kyrtik stops her, and that is when Power Girl realizes they are guarding the crystal and protecting it from harm. Green Lantern is incensed that Power Girl wants to just leave the League where they are, but she is quick to point out that the two of them and the rest of Kyle's team are Oblivion's problem, not the League. Just then, the two heroes receive a communication from Kyle, telling them to head back to the uh, second issue of, I mean, to get back to the coordinates. He is sending them as fast as they can because he has found Oblivion. Before they leave, Green Lantern reveals that his new, his true name is Pell Tavern. Power Girl... Herself as Karen, but her friends call her Kara, and then asks what role playing system he came up with that name from. <laughs>
1: A twenty on
0: my d twenty, sir. Luckily, I put more more uh, hit point. Uh, I put more into my strength rather than my charisma, which allows me <laughs> to better fight off these villainous foes. Ah. Uh, <sighs> oh God, have you ever have you ever gone to those LARPing type things where people are throwing yep. bean bags? Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an issue.
2: Uh, go ahead, Mike. Fifth week events are kind of a they're a quandary for me because I am the guy that will defend the nineties to the death, and the fifth week event came out of the nineties. Uh, it was a a, I think a good idea on the part of DC that they wanted to take that fifth week of the month uh, that happens like you know three or four times a year. Uh, and, and do something with it to sell some books, and it was at a time where apparently they had the resources to do so. Out of this, you got things like uh, a, a little thing that maybe Sean's somewhat familiar with. Tangent.
0: I've never heard of that.
2: I don't know if you've ever. I don't. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Sean. You
0: know, uh, like an interesting thing. I may have to check that out. Uh,
2: and and even to a certain extent, the amalgam books and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and. I like movies that came out in the 90s, I think. But once you got into the aughts, I think they got a little more gratuitous. I guess that's the best way to say it. I mean, you you had the Silver Age event, which was Mark Wade and Tom Pyre and a bunch of other people who love the Silver Age trying to kind of shoehorn that into current DC comics. And it was an awful, awful story. And you had things like the, the JLA fifth week event oh, where God. the A stood for different things like Aliens or Arkham or something like that. Atlanteans. And Circle of Fire, I think, falls in the middle of the spectrum. And it only does because of what happens later in Winnick's run. Mm-hmm. You know, like most of them you could just forget about. This one, not this particular issue. Uh, has some far-reaching effects. The other... The the thing that I... I, I don't want to say I don't like it, but the thing about this issue and, and this fifth-week event in general that kind of gets to me is it makes me realize that there was a certain point in DC's history where they could do stuff like this, where you could have an entire... They paid an artist, or several artists, to draw 22 pages... Of Power Girl and some, you know, brand new Green Lantern, and that was okay. You know, it was just like, you know, you you could dislike the story all you want, but there's something cool about the fact that there was there was a time period where you and you can't do this now, but where you could, you know, devote rack space to this sort of thing. And I've always liked Power Girl ever since I figured out who she was. And I've always felt bad for Power Girl because she was one of the the casualties from the crisis that came home and had to live with it and live with people mucking with her origin and mucking with her costumes. Um to be fair, this costume is much better than
1: uh you know uh the JL Europe uh costume. Yeah, the yeah, Justice League Justly Europe post, costume. Yeah. Uh and post to a certain, uh uh post Gerard Jones
2: and to a certain extent I think this costume is kind of sexy
1: because there is something
2: about a form-fitting out. It's just just like okay, we want to de-emphasize the boobs, so we're going
0: to put her into a skin-tight outfit because that's going to de-emphasize the boobs. A skin-tight outfit with a with a sort of very, if it weren't the skin-tight outfit, the V section there at front, mm-hmm. which sort of looks like it's trying to accentuate the cleavage. Does nothing to not do anything but accentuate the cleavage. Right.
2: Having said that, I've always liked this costume. And I'll tell you why. It's got a turtleneck. How many superhero <laughs> outfits do you really see with a turtleneck? I mean that that's that's kinda interesting.
0: I'm trying to didn't Black Canary during like the beginning of the uh JI uh, yeah, run. The size outfit. Yeah.
2: Yeah, the, the 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 costume that Jeanette Khan wanted them to do because she felt that the fish nets were sexist. Mm-hmm. So she puts her into an 80s jazzercise outfit. Yes. And that so. lasted about, what, three years? Until they... the Giordano-drawn uh, miniseries, hmm. I think. I think that's when no, they brought I it No, I think back. it
1: was even earlier. It was during the hit Black Canary's run in Action Comics Weekly.
2: You're absolutely right. Because there's yeah. that,
1: that iconic, and I think it was, I don't know who drew it, there was an iconic cover of her burning the... the yes. <laughs> Burning the Europicized outfit. Well, one of my
2: other kind of funny comments, well, not funny, but kind of interesting comments about this is just looking at who's in the credits. Uh, Scott Beatty was pretty, you know, pretty established at DC at this time, but this is some early work by Pete Woods, uh, who would go on to draw Superman and a bunch of other stuff, and, and his style would change radically. And it's edited by Matt Idelson, who up until last year was the Superman editor from like two thousand seven until two thousand thirteen. Uh and it's just kind of it's just kind of fun and, and when you read like the first issue of this, uh, which I know you've covered already, but it's just like Matthew
1: Vaughn? Really? He re- You mean you mean Brian Va- K. Vaughn. Oh yeah. Brian
2: K. Vaughn. Well, Matthew thinking, Vaughn I'm writing thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking would have been a much different book. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brian K. Vaughn, why the last man himself? Yeah. writing a Green Lantern story. Wow,
1: guess you had to start somewhere.
2: Jeez, and and... now I've
1: got Matthew Vaughn, Matthew Vaughn's Green Lantern in my head now.
2: <laughs> I have X Men First Class on my hutch right now because I have it
0: mm.
1: to like watch while I'm doing stuff. So that's probably why I
0: was thinking of Matthew Vaughn. I still need to see. Let's just hope it's Winter
1: Jennifer Lawrence and not January well, okay, Jones in okay. the Power Girl role.
0: Oh. <laughs> yes. Ah. Uh, I... Yeah, I don't know. January on a visual
2: Jones. basis, I'd 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 take both, but as for acting ability, yeah. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> January Jones uh, is is like a hunk of wood. I swear. <laughs> I want her and Channing Tatum to do a movie called
2: Block of Wood. really They'd be perfect.
1: Yeah, I'm a a big uh fan of Wood's artwork. I mean, partially because he's one of the people who defined the look of one of my favorite uh mutant characters. Pete Wisdom, over at uh, over at Marvel, which I think predates this this story. I'm yes. not sure. I'm, I'm a,
2: was that during the Warren Ellis? Yes, during the Warren Ellis run of Excalibur.
0: Now, since I in general know what's going on with Power Girl, go ahead and fill me in on the whole change from being Kryptonian to being Atlantean thing that's going on here with Power Girl.
2: Well. After the crisis, you know, she couldn't be from Earth-2 anymore, but they wanted to hang on to the character. And unlike Huntress, where you can kind of change things a little easier because she doesn't have any superpowers, how do you explain where her powers come from? And I believe it was the Paul Kupperberg miniseries uh, with the awesome Carrie Gamble covers, uh, even though he didn't do the interiors, where it was established that basically she is Atlantean. She is from the past and she was sent to the future. And that's why her costume developed that little symbol on the belt for the longest right. time. Cause that's and, Arian's
1: symbol. Her yes. grandfather, I think he yeah, it was. Her, he,
2: yeah, Arian was her grandfather, if I'm remembering that correctly. Okay.
1: And so she,
2: they, and her powers changed up a little bit because of that. And then Gerard Jones got his hands on her for Justice League Europe. And I I like Gerard Jones as a uh as a as a writer. Uh no, I'm sorry, Keith Giffen and, and no, Gerard Jones
1: was scripting Justice Legion. Keith Giffen wrote the first three issues, then passed yeah. it on to Gerard Jones. And Gerard Jones had it until the end of the whole Giffen Mateus era. And they made oh. this they made her this very angry character.
2: Uh just it's a like, very angry just, cat. With a very angry cat, but it was always like she was just, it it just seemed like she was constantly frustrated, you know, like, and there was was some interplay between her and The Flash. She even guest starred in his uh, series at one point uh, when it was hinted that they were having a romance. And then they revealed that her emotional imbalance was due to her drinking diet soda. (laughs) I wish I was making that up. No, you are not, sir. But it was basically like she drank Diet Coke and I guess she had an allergy to aspartame or something. And that was, was what was making her so upset. And then they did, the, then worse than that. And you're like, Mike, how can it be worse than a Diet Coke uh, allergy? No, we're going to make her pregnant and have a kid and then not talk about the kid ever again because he grows to adulthood and hello, zero
0: out. Yeah, it, I I remember I remember a bit of that you know in doing my zero hour coverage and I'm like w- when well, when was she pregnant? What the hell? Oh,
1: so do okay. you think during that whole Avengers JLA crossover, her and Carol Danvers sat down and compared notes? Yeah, <laughs> like, like how badly were you screwed over? Well, were you
2: punched out of the X Mansion by? Uh, did you punch Rogue out of the X Mansion? No, okay, I got you up on that one. But uh, no, the um. They also tried to do a little romance between her and Aquaman at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh wish well, if it had been handled properly, would have worked. I think, but it didn't.
1: And then for she
2: was just, and this is this is during. Was she
1: also th- crushing in Hal Jordan for
2: a while? Uh, everybody! When when Girard, when when Keith Giffen and Dave Mateus left the Justice League, and Gerard Jones was God left no. fully in charge of Justice League International. Deconstructo,
1: uh, my friend.
2: Yeah, he. Uh, and he brought Hal into that title. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved Hal. Like that was you, you thought during the the during Blackest Night that everybody was man crushing on Hal. Uh, when he was brought in back into the Justice League, that was like a like a big deal in that
1: title. But you during, have you and I Sean of how kind of screwed up the post uh, given Demetrious Gerard Jones JLE was. One of their major villains was a character called Deconstructo. Try to imagine. Um, Grant Morrison has a frustrated performance artist with a magic wishing wand.
0: <clears throat> You're gonna have to I, excuse me. I think I just hemorrhaged my brain, and I'm bleeding <laughs> out a bit here. Oh, sorry. Okay.
1: Sure. Am I lying, Mike? No,
2: no. That that, that was that was that was pretty much it. That. Again, I like Gerard Jones as a writer. I don't think his Justice League work was uh either in Justice League International or Justice League America was some of his finest DC work.
1: Yeah. Where was they had, like, Kilgore's spaceship they were, they were hanging out on? Yeah. So,
2: eventually, she just got into kind of this limbo type thing where people would bring her in and use her and then, but not really develop her. The closest she got to development before infinite crisis. And, and Jeff Johns bringing her into JSA where I think she
1: shined uh, during that pre infinite crisis era was my God. You know what else she was? Wasn't, uh, or, or this is post that she was also hanging out with the sovereign seven, the sovereign seven and the power company, I believe.
2: Uh, as was Firestorm at the time. Uh-huh. So, but yes, I remember her being part of Sovereign Seven. And like I said, she she would just bounce around and no one really knew what to do with her. Uh Chuck Dixon did some interesting things with her in Birds of Prey by having her be one of Oracle's agents, but an agent that didn't really trust her because something really bad happened at one point. Uh, and Power Girl kind of blamed Oracle for it happening. So then you have this where there's really not much to distinguish her from any other hero that this Green Lantern could have teamed up with. You know, there I, I didn't get anything out of this story that made me think, oh, these two are a good fit together.
0: Yeah, it is. It is one of the weaker, one of the weaker books in the Circle of Fire storyline. I was, you know, up until this, the Adam one where he dealt with the two twins was kind of the one that I was like the most down on. But, yeah, this one just doesn't feel like anything happens. Um,
1: uh, the, the, the thing about the fifth week events at this point in time is they seem to be built more on high concepts than anything else. That that JLA one that you cited, the one with what was it? he called the adjuster or whatever. Uh is a prime example of that this is the this is the case here where I think that they had a bunch of characters who they wanted to feature, but they didn't have their own book and they wanted to see maybe test the waters for a new J- green lantern car, or to and test the waters for whether one of these characters could sustain his own book or not and they threw him in this fifth week event just because
0: well in 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 line with that, I think Shag brought up, and I'm sorry that I'm having to mention it. You can go ahead and say oh, it. Oh, you, us. Shag. Yeah. Um, Shag mentioned in the episode that I covered with him with Firestorm that one of the things that he thought really would have worked that could have incorporated some of the characters that came out in this fifth week event was melding or allowing Adam and Firestorm to work together. Maybe not incorporate Adam into the Firestorm matrix, but you know, just have mm-hmm. Adam and Firestorm working together in a book. And you would have, he said, you would have essentially Firestorm, the Atomic Man. You know, it. it, it, if this were a way for DC to sort of test the waters, to have these characters that aren't specifically, don't specifically have their own title, I think that could have been something that came out of this. But unfortunately, the Power Girl portion of this just didn't really see much of anything as it just wasn't all that engaging of a story unfortunately it's just there and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, the, we'll get into this later i've go i went ahead and read ahead a little bit more the unfortunately the green lantern green lantern issue sort of suffers from this as well it, mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting concept you know the idea of kyle having to deal with uh alex from an alternate dimension but mm-hmm. the story itself you know i'll kind of where all
1: blondes are redheads apparently yeah
0: well just it just doesn't work you know Mm -hmm. it's it wasn't just it just the story didn't work and i think we see here that the concept was a very high concept having a daxamite who essentially is a superman analog or a character who has many things in common with superman power wise you know teaming up with power girl a person who Prior to you know the crisis, was a Kryptonian herself, and you know had had those same powers. So, and
1: also you had the whole ancient civilizations thing mm. going on with this totally nonsensical character being from the twelfth, the thirteenth century, and Kara. I think part of Kara's new origin was that she was asleep for thousands of years. Yes. Am I okay? I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah. So these two people from out of time.
2: And to be fair, it was kind of, she did play the role of like the older sister hero very well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that I, I didn't like the dynamic uh, between the two characters. It's just one of those things like, like I was saying before, the reason why you had the special was because at this point in time, you could have the special, mm-hmm. you know, you could, you could have this type thing where, you could kind of take—I don't want to say a flight of fancy—but that's that's kind of a way of saying, "Oh, we can we can take 22 pages to talk about Power Girl and this character." Mm-hmm. Whereas
1: this is around today, the same time as we got the Plus issues too, right? No, that was actually '97. Okay, uh, yeah, that was so, a bit earlier, yeah. And you know,
2: this is the last gasp of this DC era, and. It's kind of sad because I liked that era. I mean, even the artwork style, uh, you know, the Pete Woods in this issue is very different from the Pete Woods you would see, you know, four or five years, you know, yeah, four or five years later. But it's still that kind of 90s type artwork, like late 90s DC work where everybody had more of a cartoony look to them instead of being more illustrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, for, and on that level, you know, reading this again made me nostalgic. It was just like, wow, I remember this. And I remember, I remember where I was when I read these books. Uh, because I was in pretty much the same place, sitting in the cafeteria at my wife's, uh, or a little snack area at my wife's, uh, college while she was going to class. Uh, cause I drove her back and forth. So it's just kind of, it, it kind of took me back 2001 before everything happened. Uh, and, and, and how, you know, kind of different DC was at that point. So in fact, this whole episode did. So,
0: yay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And this is one of the things that I've really enjoyed about doing this podcast and rereading these books. It is it does bring back you know even though right now I'm covering stuff that I haven't experienced before the feeling I'm get is that feeling that I had when I was collecting these books and it's it's interesting to go and pick up the next book and not know what's going on and you know to to discover this universe and just discover this time so it's it's been fun for me as well to get to uh check these books out and I'm I'm glad that you guys were able to come along with this is there anything specific uh Else that we want to talk about the book? I mean, we've talked about it in general. Do we have any specific things we want to uh, okay. hit on it?
1: Um page three. Okay. That blue and red costume. What the hell is that?
0: The sort I of... think it's them trying to draw that
1: Atlantean costume. <laughs> and not doing well. Yeah. It 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 doesn't recognize.
0: Yeah, it looks like it, it looks more asian martial arts oriented mm-hmm. so i don't know exactly what's going on with it but
1: i mean it's very similar to what Aryan lord of atlantis used to wear except for of course it doesn't have the plunging neckline
0: hmm.
1: you would think with caragirl you'd want to have a plunging neckline but um see i like i like woods art here i really do um she, i think his his cara is very expressive throughout the throughout the book it's 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 very animated as opposed to the, this big lunk of nothing yeah uh, that she saddled with i mean this dax deck...
0: yeah the the dax Mike greenlander and he's he is the channing tatum of this story <sighs> mm-hmm. um i've got to ask michael um we see in on page 4 or page 3 in the book that um power girl is putting on sort of a like a plex or like a, a of, uh, a coating over her uniform, some sort of, you know, clear see-through fabric over that. Is that, you know, because she can't uh, survive in space? Yeah, her she, powers
2: were, were severely diminished after the crisis. Okay. She was no longer, she didn't have Superman-level powers at this point. She oh, right. was powerful. She was strong. She could fly. She was nearly invulnerable. But she needed uh, protection in space and that kind of
0: thing. Okay, well, that makes sense. Because uh, because earlier in the book in the first issue of this we had Superman going out into space on his own without a rebreather or anything and I'm assuming this was just during the period of time where Superman was capable of doing that because you know I'm more familiar about the, you know the sort of exile type Superman where he had to have the rebreather and the uh during you know, Jeff Loeb's early episode uh,
2: is- issue issues mm-hmm. of. Superman, when Braganza took over as editor in 99, he kinda upped Superman's powers, but not just having it happen, he actually had him working out with Mongol, uh, or, uh, or Mongol's son, uh, who is also named Mongol, which is convenient, uh, to basically get himself ready for Imperiax, which would happen during Our Worlds at War. Uh, so that was, uh, I I think this was kind of in that, it was also in that era where the people coming on to handle Superman were really kind of for lack of a better term, tired of all of the John Byrne shit, uh, which is not me because I love it. uh, But they wanted him, they wanted Superman to be kind of the, the Superman of old, but still retaining all of like being married to Lois and stuff like that. So I think there was a, there was a definite movement at this point to make Superman more powerful. So him being out in space out of rebreather was just kind of one of those things where like, well, we're just going to have it happen. But at least there is a story I can point to, which makes sense of all of that.
0: Well, and I, I like the concept of the fact that he has to go and, uh, work out that he has to physically train himself to be able to do this. It's not just Mm -hmm. something that, you know, occurs. So uh, I'll give him. That's that's a good story element to to allow that thing to happen, where beforehand it you it wasn't able to. So it makes sense. That's a good story point. Anything else we got? You know, I'm. Um, it it interests me that that they choose. It
1: looks like it's Gordonian Slavers in the flashback that um Surgeon Eric is fighting. Surgeon
2: <laughs> <Sir> Eric, nice. <laughs>
1: Generic knight. I like how his hair is
0: nineties and
2: yet yeah. medieval at the same time. So.
0: Well, I was gonna say, you know, all the uh, all the characters in this uh, medieval setting do have the sort of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves type look. So.
2: <laughs> oh, that that those are straight up the Gordanian slaver,
0: sir.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That has to be. Which would be mistaken for dragons. I kind of like that.
1: Yeah. Mm. One of the few, I think, missteps Pete would. Does is on page eleven, where apparently
0: Kara uh, is uh, trying out for the chorus line. <laughs> oh yes, that that image of her in that second panel where she's yes. where she's doing the sort of plie. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I hope I get it. I hope <laughs> I get it.
2: How many boys? How many girls?
0: She really
2: needs this. <sighs>
0: I'm so glad they're singing. I don't have enough singing
2: on this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be fair, that blonde in the in the movie, a chorus line, could have played Power Girl rather effectively.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's a movie that's unfortunately out of my wheelhouse, so I will have to I will have to put that on my Netflix queue.
1: Right. Uh, big weird wiggly diatom looking thing, of course.
0: Yeah, the the hentai starfish thing. Yes. Sure, why not?
2: We watched ni- we watched anime in the nineties.
0: Woo! <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm certain. I'm certain there's some something that Pikachu would probably take this character down with, but eh, whatever. Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead. The aliens look vaguely white Martianish.
2: Mm-hmm. A little bit. Especially like
1: Howard Porter White Martians
2: from the mm-hmm. first JLA storyline.
0: Yeah, I can see that, but yeah, overall, I, it was okay. Again, sadly, it was an issue. <laughs> I, I, it, it's I, not a waste of time, but it's not
2: something that unless you were going through this era, that I would say, "Ooh, go out and read this," you know? Yeah
0: it's it's not a it's not a you have to pick this up. This is this is an, an integral story to link together the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern run, it's like, yeah, it was it was on the racks, and sure, having it in your collection is not a bad thing, but it's not mm-hmm. essential, unfortunately. But, yeah, it, it was a thing. And again, sadly, it's driven the the show to a halt.
2: <laughs> well, it was the story of a girl who... Uh... <laughs> Try to river and drown the whole, the whole
1: world.
0: Yeah, but... <laughs> but she you
1: know, looks so good in photographs.
0: I absolutely love her. When she smiles. Ah, uh, pseudo-sigging. That's good as well on the podcast. <laughs> Guys, I really, really love having you on the show. I thank you so much for coming on to do this, both of you. It's it's great to get to talk to you, not only about the comics, but, you know, there's off-air stuff that we talked about as well that, uh, unfortunately, none of you listening to this would be privy to, but... That's, I don't think they want to hear my conspiracy theory
2: on the uh, JFK assassination.
0: <laughs> no, we'll right. just that will remain. That in fact that portion of the show is going to be deleted from my hard drive. Otherwise, the NSA will be tracking me down.
1: <laughs> but, or, or, or that that moment where I had to to, to, to walk away because uh, the brownies that uh, naked Kristen Bell was <laughs> naked. <laughs>
0: Ah, naked Kristen Bell. (laughs) Bacon brownies. Mm -hmm. So, guys, why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, what you're doing on the internet nowadays, and where people can find you?
2: You go first, Thomas.
1: Um. Well, um, better in the dark is kind of on a very extended hiatus right now. So, um, you know, while I deal with some personal stuff, and uh, let's see, you know, um, there's some writing. There's some, you know, some more writing stuff coming up. A couple of, uh, you know, Shadow Legion short stories are going to be showing up towards the end of the year in, uh, various places, including the Christmas, the the Pulpworks Christmas Annual, which will be available around Easter. No, 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 it's going to be available, you know, so there's stuff.
2: Okay. Well, uh, main show you can find me at is Views from the Long Box, which you can find at views from
1: Um,
2: I've been mostly regular with that lately, so yay. I uh, also co-host From Crisis to Crisis with Jeffrey Taylor, which you can find at the Superman homepage of dot 2com uh, I did put out an episode of Bailey's Batman Podcast a few weeks ago, which mm. uh, shocked everybody, and which is Bailey'sBatmanPodcast.com. And I'm part of the Two True Freaks Network on Comics Monthly Monday and Tales of the JSA.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to more tales of the JSA. But hint, hint, Mike. Are things in the pipe right now? I've got a couple
2: in the editing bay. It's just Scott and I. The, the bane of tales existence is the fact that Scott and I have jobs. Hmm. So mm. if if anybody wants to like you know give us a couple million dollars a piece where we could just sit at home all day doing podcasts, you'd probably get a lot more. J- well, to, hint, hint.
0: Do, doesn't Scott have Disney money now? What the hell? Oh well. I, I, I don't
1: think he well, has they don't like him to talking the about World.
0: the competition. Oh, I understand. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> well, know, guys,
1: whole, like the I whole, said. Uh, intellectual property wars that uh, nobody knows about uh, makes
0: sense. Well, one day Disney will own everything, so then it'll all be good. But, guys, thank you again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It is always a joy to get to talk to both of you. And we will be catching you all in seven days for the next episode of Just One of the Guys. Oh, I might as well mention what's coming up. Uh, issue 137 is a big blockbuster issue because a certain character in the Green Lantern comic tells a certain character of his uh, his secret. uh secret. Could I be a little vague about that? Yes, I probably could. Plus, we you also get... It's a fruit. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> see, that's... you you Mm-hmm. See, I have a fruit allergy. She
1: marries a kumquat.
0: Uh. Oh. <laughs> green lantern that wouldn't be unnatural, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a kumquat planet out yeah. there. Well, you know, the they had they had Metaphil, the the plant yeah. green lantern, and they had the FlotoSpan that was sort of the the sentient blob green lantern. So why not? A giant kumquat green lantern. <laughs> it works.
1: The most unfortunately named fruit in the galaxy.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> at least I know. It's a K and not a T in the middle. Of yes. It. <laughs> oh, that thing. Yeah, that is true. Plus, we'll also be taking a look at the next issue of the Circle of Fire storyline Green Lantern, Green Lantern, which is also a book. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if Talking only. Talking
1: about a reference nobody will ever get.
0: Oh. The
2: first season of that was on sale at my work at
0: one point. <laughs> wow. There you go. That used to be considered a scandalous show. Mm hmm. Really? Yes, because okay. of
2: the subject matter.
0: Okay, well, I'll, I'll take your word for that. But thanks, everyone, for listening, and thanks, everyone, for downloading. We'll see you in seven days on another episode of Just One of the Guys. I'll Bye. be there in a minute, Kristen. <laughs> Save me some brownies. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyrighted by their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcome too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed as well as scan the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents, just one of the guys podcast and you su- you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well and now you can find me there. As it was a requirement of my new Demonzacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining the Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Greenlander podcast. The opening music for today's show was The Monkees and their song Circle Sky. This song is off the album... Well, not a specific album, but it's off the movie that the monkeys made called Head. Make your own little jokes there. It's actually an excellent movie, and it was suggested to me by Thomas DJ, and I appreciate him giving me the suggestion to play it before the show, because I'm kind of running around of circle songs to put in there that don't have children's links. But of course, whenever I mention a song in the show, I mention the place that you should go to get this song if you'd like to buy it, and that place is Amazon.com. And the way to get to Amazon.com is by going through the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. Whenever you go to the website 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon banner in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage, you'll be transported to Amazon where you could buy the Monkeys, the Beatles, the ruddles, the Sex Pistols. Trying to think of other bands with the the Rolling Stones, why not? Any variety of music that you'd like to buy at ridiculously low prices. Plus, there are other things at Amazon.com. So many things that it would take me as many podcasts I've made to actually mention them all. And no one wants to hear me talk about that. But again, anytime you use the link at 2 to make a purchase from Amazon, a little bit of your purchase price goes back to the website. You won't see any extra money coming out of your pocket, but Amazon.com generously donates a small portion of your purchase price back to the website. It helps keep great podcasts like my show and all the other excellent, excellent shows on the Two True Freaks sites, going. So, whatever you're thinking about buying—music, entertainment, movies, or games—make sure that you use Amazon.com and the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Okay, let's see. Let's okay. see. All right, now it's recording. We're all good. All right. All right.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: uh, Kristen Bell making brownies naked. No. Yes. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Not that I've ever seen that, but
0: doesn't matter, describe it, go.
1: <laughs> Come on, writer boy. No, okay,
0: that was what I was thinking of. It's
1: like I was I was with a, a young lady on Saturday night. And she was making Brownies naked. Go. Well she was doing lots of things naked, <laughs> oh, but uh, there you go. uh I'm
2: just saying they had a a thing about garage. I mean, yes, uh, yes, I minor, noticed that. It's oh, it's a my minor God. spoiler, but, but it's not really a spoiler. Are well, Easter gonna... eggs spoilers? Pass,
1: okay, here no, it is. And it's, it's, so. cause it does, it's not really a spoiler. At one point, um, Barry is visiting Star Labs after a disaster. I don't well, he's think not visiting, but, and the open, they pass an open, they pass an open, a. uh, uh, uh Broken out cage. that looks like it has been broken out of, and the sign there says "Grod."
0: <laughs> oh, I would so love to see a giant talking monkey mm-hmm. on my flash show. That would be just awesome.
1: The problem with Gotham and why I gave up after twenty minutes was that you got. The, it was like kind of like sitting next to that guy at the party who kept nudging you in the ribs. <laughs> going, that's a, hey, that's a see,
2: fair. see. Look, see, see.
1: Hmm. A- it... And I gave up after the whole poison ivy thing.
0: So, lack of subtlety is what's plaguing oh, Gotham, in your opinion? Total lack of subtlety. Hmm. It,
1: it, it's it's a show that has no faith in its audience to recognize Easter eggs.
0: Wow.
1: I am very guardedly optimistic about the the, the Teen Titans show.
0: I'm certain you're going, don't be Devin Grayson, don't be Devin Grayson. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But then again. <laughs> I'd be more like, don't, don't be Scott Lovedell, don't be Scott Labdell.
1: <laughs> so far. I, I think I may have figured out who, um, Kyle McLaughlin is supposed to be. Okay. But I'm, and of course, because I, because he's supposed to be a doctor who is already established in the Marvel Universe. And unfortunately, now I can't remember who. Who who I, because I think I figured it out last night and I I, I didn't write it down or anything, but. Mm. uh, Dr. Druid? Is he going to be Dr.? Yes, he's he's Dr. Dr. Druid. No, 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 no. It it, it was.
2: Dude, that would be so awesome, though. Come on. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes, it would. (laughs) Dr. Druid, the only bald, pudgy superhero in the Marvel Universe.